Hello, and welcome to the Canadian Story, where we discuss what Canada is, what Canada could be, and what Canada should be. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Canadian Story. I'm very honored to have Senator Leo Housakis on with us. He, uh, I only got to know him over the Aaron O'Toole leadership, and I've just been blown away uh, by the few conversations we've already had, and I wanted to have you on here. Uh, so the senator was appointed to the Senate by Stephen Harper, m- one of my heroes, uh, someone I was lucky enough to work for at the age of 23 for a year, even got to fly on a plane with him a few times, just an exceptional person. Uh, and that exceptional person thought that Senator Leo was such an ex- exceptional person that he appointed him to the Senate, a body that he despises. <laughs> I don't, I don't know so, if that uh, was a Senator, gift or, a, you... or, or what, but. <laughs> yeah, maybe it was a bit of like a, a bit of a. Uh, side, a side uh, swipe compliment, I guess. A, side, a backhanded compliment, right? <laughs> All right. So, um, Senator, what do you love about this country? Uh, I love many things about Canada, but I guess if there's one thing that stands out, especially being a son of, uh, of immigrant parents, Uh, is our Westminster parliamentary system. I think our British parliamentary system, uh, the Westminster model, which is, of course, the mother of all all parliaments on this earth, I think is the one institution element of this country that has allowed Canada to be truly what it is today and I think will serve as a springboard in helping us resolve some of the challenges uh, that we face today and tomorrow uh, because it's uh, such a proven institution. And uh, I, I hold so that. So that's really interesting. Yeah, that's really interesting. We, we recently had Derek Fildebrandt on, and he was just committed to the idea that the Senate is completely broken. Uh, I know that you have worked closely with uh, former Prime Minister Stephen Harper on trying to fix the Senate. It's been the Supreme Court kind of uh, caused us a lot of grief on that. Uh, what, what do you think about our Westminster system needs to improve to increase fairness for all Canadian, like for, especially for Albertans, right? Who feel like it's a little bit ridiculous that Nova Scotia has more senators than Alberta does. uh, Look, first and foremost, I don't think the Senate is completely broken. I think the Senate, like uh, many aspects of our institution needs to evolve, needs to improve. The country's evolving. Canada is a very young country. Uh, And the Senate, I think was an ideal model that was put into place by the forefathers and has served Canada very well. Uh, Of course, we have to allow the Senate to do its work, which from time to time, uh, the House of Commons infringes upon our uh, rights and and responsibilities. And unfortunately, there are senators that don't step up and push back because, of course, when the forefathers created the two chambers, they knew there was going to be conflict. Now, we're living in an era of populism. We're living in an era where communication is fluid more than ever. Uh, And we're also living in an era of disruption and frustration amongst our public, legitimate frustrations that we need to resolve, and we can only resolve it through debate. Now, uh, having said that, the institution, I think, is not as broken as everyone said, but I also agree that it doesn't necessarily serve what it was originally committed to serve, which is this minority voices and particularly be the voice for all regions of the country. And when, and I understand my Western Canadian friends when they only have a, a, a less than a quarter, far less than a quarter of the chamber's representation, when today in 2021, they, they make far more of the population of the country than that, it's a legitimate complaint. But let's not get to an extreme. Let's find the political will, which there hasn't been now for, for three decades, in opening the Constitution, having the discussion, and resolving what I consider to be issue number one is the fact that Western Canada isn't properly represented in that body and in that institution as it is. Now, if we want to discuss making it an elected body, we want to discuss the process of nominations, uh, we want to discuss even the division of authority between it and the House of Commons. Free game. Let's do it. Uh, yeah, I love this. I'm, I I love this because um, recently one of my friends said to me, we need to save this country from timid men. And you are not a timid man. I'm not a timid man. And I think it's time that that courageous men, men who are willing to take risks, go forward and actually do something. Like if we look at what happened with, with Mulroney going in, he actually did try. He was courageous, but he got beat up over it. And I think after he took that beating, everyone was, everyone who held the office since was so scared of 
opening up the constitution because of what happened to him that we've just kind of all everyone's been a coward on this for too long i totally agree mr Mulroney was a pioneer uh, as we all know he was a prime minister that was bold and was not afraid to roll the dice and take risks it came with repercussions particularly what he was prime minister during a time when nationalism in quebec was at its peak uh and of course uh meach lake suffered the consequences of that. Uh, but again, we can't blame it solely on Quebec. The truth of the matter is we are very much a regional nation with regional diverse, uh, diverse interests. Uh, and any time a prime minister opens these issues, there will be old wounds that reappear uh, and we will get into what is a very aggressive non-timid discussion. But that's the only way you build nations. You build nations by doing bold things and by putting things on the table and having a frank discussion between members of the family. I, I couldn't agree more. Actually, the whole purpose of this podcast has been to, uh, there's a great quote by G.K. Chesterton. I don't know if you know G.K. Chesterton, but uh, he talks about loving a place and that when we love a place, we need to love it with boldness. We need to love it uh, in ridiculous way because, I mean, there's no action. It's mystical, the love that you have for, like, say, your children. A, a good parent loves their child in a, in a totally different way than you would love, say, your job or your house or a possession. It's it's a deep bond that, that goes into this, I would argue, into the spiritual realm of sorts. And I feel like Canadians have not created that bond in the same way with their country as the Quebecois have uh, created with Quebec and Albertans have created with Alberta. And so the whole purpose of the Canadian story is to say, hey, the whole thing is lovable, too. You don't have to just love your little piece of it. Well, I, it's funny you, you touch upon that because I have some very deep views on that particular issue. I think, David, right now, uh, you've highlighted perfectly the, the, the state of affairs in Canada. Uh, once upon a time, a prime minister who uh, I don't have a lot of time for coined the phrase that Canada is a, is a community of communities. And indeed, I guess in 2021, I can probably say it's the only thing he ever said that was visionary. We have a country that <laughs> right now that we've created that lives in silos and it's regional nationalism. And it's not relegated only to Alberta and Quebec. Ontario has its own form of nationalism, different uh, and centralism. They think they're the center of the universe in this country. Atlantic Canadians have a very unique perspective of the country. Uh, British Columbians have a very unique perspective. And we celebrate our regional strengths and our diversity, as I said earlier. But I, as a senator and as a politician, I'm particularly concerned that no one is addressing the fact of national unity in the country. We and, and we conservatives, I, I, we have to look at ourselves in the mirror because the liberals have dominated the question of identity politics in this country and the issue of, of a nation and what it is and what our identity is. I think we have, as conservatives, we should reach out to Canadians, put everybody around the table and have that discussion. Talk about multiculturalism. Talk about the fact of lack of integration in this country. And I'm not afraid to talk about multiculturalism. I'm an I'm a ethnic from Montreal who happens to be an Anglophone uh, born to immigrant parents, uh, parents who were always offended by the coin of multiculturalism. I'm proud of my Hellenic uh, origins and my heritage. I'm proud. I'm a proud Quebecois, uh, perfectly trilingual. Uh, and, and I can celebrate all of that while equally being a proud Canadian and wanting to identify the elements that create a unified Canada, emulsifies all of those diverse pieces into one Canadian national uh, identity. We have to get into that discussion for the future. That's why I'm calling it. I've, I've decided to take the, the word identity out of the picture myself like this. Obviously, I'm I'm not anyone. I'm just a guy who's trying to like trying to do to love Canada is basically what I'm trying to do. But I've decided that the best way to do it is spread the word, hopefully through this podcast, that this country does have a story. It's a beautiful story. And and you know what the best thing about stories are? They have characters in them. And you know who the characters of the Canadian story are? Canadians. Absolutely. Period. Absolutely. Right. And. I just feel like we have been so focused on America and everything that's going on down there. And Canadians are kind of an insecure people. We don't know. We don't know who we are. We have, we're like a teenager of a country, right? We're just trying to figure out what we're going to do. And we don't know who we are. We don't, don't have a lot of confidence. And I think what I want to say to everyone, and I'm, it sounds like you agree is we can be con we can be confident in the, what this country is. It's a beautiful place 
filled with amazing people and has limitless potential. And we need to stop getting in this scarcity mindset where we're like, oh, I can only love, if I love Quebec, I can't love Canada. If I love Alberta, I can't love Canada. No, that's not true. We can have abundance of love. You, if you have one kid, it doesn't mean you love them less when you have a second kid. You love them equally. You're, you're bang on, David. I mean, there's, there's more that unites us than divides us. And the truth of the matter is Canadians from time to time, we spend uh, focus on what we think divides us, that Quebec gets this and Alberta gets that. And, you know, Quebec got that contract and Manitoba didn't get that back in the 80s. And, you know. Yeah, that was uh, like just us one contract and everyone lost right. their mind. Why should, why should I, <laughs> our kids learn French? And, and the other guy is saying, well, why should our children learn English instead of saying, listen, let's learn both for that. You know, what's valuable knowing two languages. It's good for your exactly. brain. <laughs> and more importantly, it's good for your pocket because I keep saying we're a trading nation. We're a people that came to this land seeking better economic opportunity for, for our, our future generations that are, that are gonna follow us. And of course, uh, we wanna build and we wanna create and construct and we wanna trade. Language is a tool in order to open the horizons of the world to us. And I find it really uh, disturbing again. Why would we want to relegate our country to being unilingual or for that matter, only bilingual? I travel frequently to Europe and you find our, our European counterparts uh, around the world who speak far more than two languages with ease. It sharpens the brain. It gives them an opportunity, like I said, to, to engage in trade. And of course, it broadens their, their social and cultural scope as well. Yeah, like, oh, I love that. And like, it's just, that that is such a clear and concise way of putting it. Like, why are we arguing about these things? You can You can love your French language and speak another one, or or I can love my English language and speak another one. And it doesn't have to be, I actually think this is the great problem that we're facing as a society right now, is people want their identity to be small and very specific, right? So everyone is looking for this specific, unique identity that makes them special. And my arguments to people is, why don't, why can't you be multiple things? Why do you have to be one thing specifically? Look, we have a prime minister currently who uses regional and diversity politics to divide. I think we can we can elect a future prime minister in Aaron O'Toole uh, who will believe in, in using our diversity to unite. Using, for example, the federal levers that we have in terms of budget and financial capability to unite the country, uh, to bring people together. Uh, instead of spending money frivolously, let's spend money in having internship programs and, uh, and, and exchange programs between Canadians from East, West and Central Canada and all the way around. Uh, let's, let's take our cultural diversity and introduce it to Canadians because we have such a vast country as you know, and you're, you've had the privilege as a young man to travel across the country and you've experienced it. And instead of now being fearful of our diversity, it's obvious, David, knowing you now for a while, you've embraced it. And I think all of us who've had that opportunity, uh, when I come to Alberta, of course, at the beginning, it was alien to me. I was born and raised in Montreal, in Quebec, from a particular cultural background with immigrant parents. But it took me all but three, four hours to really warm up and say, wow, this is a wonderful place. Place, a unique culture, yeah. well, a unique and, background, yes, a great experience. Yes. Not and, to and, mention, not to you mention, love them, right? You love not them. Not to now. mention the most beautiful piece of of land in the world, up in Lake Louise and <laughs> Banff, exists in that province. Once you go there, I keep telling Quebecers: once you go there, you realize where heaven on earth is. Um, so the only way to experience that is to get young people to travel. It also strikes me that the biggest. Uh, challenge we face in Canada is young students and young Canadians don't get out of their provinces enough to go and experience. I actually have a, I'm going to be doing a podcast on this with uh, with a fellow, but I, I have a policy proposal that I'm working on with a few people. I call it, uh, I call it the Canadian Forest Service. And the idea is that if you join the Canadian Forest Service, similar to joining the Israeli military, except it will be non-militaristic, you spend three years uh, working on environmental projects across the country. You have to leave where you are. And at the end of it, we'll cover, uh, we'll, we'll pay for your tuition if, if you, if you do it and you're paid that whole time, but it's, it, I think it could be a, a unifying 
concept. I'm going to dig into it further on another podcast, but what do you think I of think that? I think that's that's idea? exactly what I'm talking about. I will take it a step further and, and amend it to add another uh, federal program in place where as soon as university students in Canada, or for that matter, uh, apprentice uh, students of any particular uh, level of, of graduation finish their program, they would be able to, to write a um, other language proficiency test. So if you're an Anglophone, you, you write a, a French proficiency test. And if you're a French Canadian, you write an English profession, proficiency test. And if you get a, a particular score and pass it, uh, you get a, a, a burst, you get a, um, a scholarship or you get a, maybe your, oh, I your love last that semester, idea. you know, we spent billions I of dollars, that idea. David, on make work projects like the CBC, oh. but we don't spend money on tangible things where you give a young Canadian incentive because you know, we've created a country based on mediocrity right now because we're being run by a bunch of mediocre, a mediocre left of center liberals, create a country of timid incentive. Men. Timid men. Because today what drives any human being, I don't care your background, is is the cash, is incentive of Incentives. opportunity, of, of being rewarded for hard work. Uh, and inadvertently, what it leads to is opening up the cultural, linguistic, and intellectual horizons of, of young Canadians uh, and, and rewarding them. For I the love community. this. I think that's I incentive, right? You incentivize things instead of dissentivizing. Well, I'm, I think, so one of the things that I find so interesting is that Trudeau keeps saying diversity is our strength. Diversity is our strength, right? And I'm like, diversity's never been anybody's strength. You know what diversity causes? Yugoslavia. That's what happens when you have just diversity without any love. If you, the Canadian story needs to be the story of how diversity is overcome, not claiming that it's our strength. Diversity can destroy things. Harmony unites them. And harmony is about respect. Yesterday, I was on a uh, on a Zoom call with leaders from the Indo-Canadian community. There was well over 3, 000, uh, three dozen on that call of leaders of large organizations from coast to coast to coast. And it's funny, uh, the issue of multiculturalism came up. And it's amazing, even though it's become a sacred cow in this country, like Medicare and other issues, we, they, they've become so in, embedded in the psyche of the Canadian population that no politician is even willing to have a frank discussion on it. Uh, but it was amazing yesterday how these leaders from that cultural community and visible minorities were, were so offended by multiculturalism and the principle, bringing up the point of why do we have a piece of legislation in Canada that creates hyphenated Canadians. And why would that piece of legislation in the name of diversity apply, for example, to someone who's of Hindu background or of Greek background or Italian background or Jamaican background, but doesn't apply to somebody who's from Irish or Scottish or English background? Well, that, I've always been super offended by that because it's like, well, my my ancestors were United, Arab, uh, United Empire loyalists. So um, I've always said... I. I have a, a beef with the Americans and it's because they tarred and feathered my ancestors. Right? <laughs> like, it's a, it's, I think it's a fair beef, but, um, but the truth of the matter is I love this country just as a Canadian. And, and I know there's a lot of people like me who don't, who aren't. And I would say the first nations are the first of those people, right. Who are, who are just Canadians. In fact, we called this country Canada, which is a first nation word for our home. Right? 100%. Look, I've never met a Canadian who wanted uh, special privileges, special rights, uh, or to be distinguished because of their faith, their color, uh, or their ethnic background. All they ask for is equal opportunity before the law, before our institutions, before society. Is there racism? Well, this is the is problem. there racism that we have to combat? Of course, racism has existed for four thousand years. Now the liberals are using the term systemic racism. You can call it what you want. I call it innate human nature. Human beings. The biggest challenge we have is overcoming, as I said earlier, the fear of the unknown. Uh, and when you yes. can build, bring yes. yourself can you, to can you, can you keep going on yeah. that. Can you keep going on that? That's an important idea. I want you to and say I've more about it. I've seen it. I've seen my fellow Quebecers who are unilingual francophone uh, being fearful of the English language, being fearful of visiting Toronto because they're worried about being able to to order a cheeseburger or 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 breakfast in the morning. Uh, there, you know, there's the, the the misconception very often and a stereotype of an Albertan before they even meet an Albertan or a Quebecois before somebody from British Columbia ever meets them. So uh, when you can 
overcome your fear of the unknown. I think that's when you broaden your intellectual horizon. You really become enlightened both in terms of mind and heart. And that's when you start going back to your premise, creating a country of unity and love and cooperation. Uh, try, listen, uh, be open-minded. And then you'll find at the end of the day, all human beings are the same. I spend a lot of time doing outreach with the ethnocultural communities. I'm a senator from Montreal, uh, an urban suburban center where obviously we have our fair share of new Canadians that come here. Our experiences are the same. I can sit down with an Irish Scotsman in this country who's been here four or five generations. And when you uh, peel the layers uh, off and you compare the experiences and you just go back to the first and second generation of those Irish and Scottish Canadians that came here, same challenges, same dreams, same aspirations. They left the same type of background. Just what ends up happening is the ones that follow after them, you know, there's this innate reflex of the unknown again. Who are they? What are they bringing? Uh, you know, these are a bunch of Martians that are invading our way of life when in reality, they're looking to have the same life. They're the same as us. They're the same as us. The only difference, and, oh, the okay, only so difference is we just, mesh over a period, just like the Irish. People forget, I want to, you know, people forget once upon a time, Catholics and Protestants didn't mesh very well. <laughs> right? There were a lot, a lot of wars, wars fought a lot over of bloodshed. that. Uh, now, all of a sudden, we pretend they're like one kind of race. I, and, and I keep bringing that up, for example, to the new arrivals. Stop thinking that somehow the, the you know, the, 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 there was once upon a time even more vociferous battles uh, and racism and discrimination than we're facing right now. Different. I won't say worse, there, yeah. but different. Different. Yeah, exactly. Different. And, and you know what I don't like about... Uh, about people using that there's a there's a large group of people who benefit from us being divided as Canadians they they profit from making us dislike one another and they want to keep us there and these people may not even be aware that they're doing it because like you said it's it's human nature to think in a tribal mindset right but you as someone who has reached out I mean uh, one of my friends who's also coming on the podcast and someone that you mentor uh, Anthony, uh, Anthony will always, whenever he greets me on the phone, say, Salam Habibi, right? I love it. I, I have started doing it. And the reason I've started doing it is because it's a great phrase and it comes off the tongue amazingly. And the meaning is so powerful. I mean, you probably know this better than I do, but when I looked at it, it's uh, Habibi means beloved and Salam means peace. So peace, my beloved. And I'm just like, does it get better than that as a greeting? No, it doesn't. That's a great greeting. And we should all be greeting each other with that level of love and affection. And, and, um, and that's something that Canada can take as a cultural touchstone. And I tell you this right now, it would make every Arab in this country feel so loved. Listen, again, if you have the capacity to reach every single Canadian and touch their heart, I think that's what Canada is all about. Because by and large, we have far better stories of well being welcoming, uh, being open, uh, offering opportunity to Canadians. Uh, this is a country made up of immigrants. Uh, and we have a deep history of it. And our future is dependent on that reality. The truth of the matter is, uh, Canada demographically needs immigration. We by no means have the volume of immigration that we need in order to build a strong economy, to be able to replace an aging population. And if we're going to maintain our social services and maintain our economic compet competitiveness, we need to grow our population through immigration. Now, I can come back and we can have another show on how to fix a broken immigration system in this country. Yeah, I want you to come back anytime <laughs> you want. I, that, we, that, that's a show in itself. Yeah, yeah. These discussions need to be had. Um, one point I wanted to make, I've mentioned this in an earlier podcast, but Canada is a nation of explorers, right? That I've been, I've been spent about 10 years when I was younger. I was like, I'm going to be when I was 14, I was like, I'm going to be prime minister. And I, and I remember a friend sitting me down and saying, why do you want to be prime minister? And it was kind of shocking because I didn't have an answer. I just wanted it. And so Ever since then, I don't want to be prime minister anymore for everyone listening. But ever since then, I've thought why I thought about that question. Why? Why? Why you, David? What What do you have to offer this country? 
And I've never had an answer until I started this podcast. And now I know what I have to offer this country. It's just, I'm going to love it. I'm going to love it with a reckless abandon, like no one's ever loved anything before. And hopefully we can help heal the wounds of division and hate and, and people and people that have legitimate cases against the actions of others, right? Forgiveness is the only way, not reconciliation to this. Like reconciliation is forgiveness. You can't have reconciliation without it. And to have forgiveness, you need two things. You would need to admit that you hurt someone and you need to apologize for it. Well, that, 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 that's Look, what we you're do. absolutely right. And I love one of your themes of the show, which is, of course, uh, you're only allowed to to critique if you have a solution to the issue you're criticizing, which I, I think is uh, is a good approach to things. Uh, and it's a way of life, I think, that people have to, uh, to, to learn to live by. It's funny, when I had the privilege as a caucus member to work with the Right Honorable Stephen Harper, he always used to say, come to me with solutions. Uh, don't come to me with the list of problems. I know the problems that are there. Thank you very much. Uh, so very, very apropos. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I, uh, I hear where you're coming from and I think we, uh, we, the future of this country is bright. We have so much going for us, natural resources, human resources, uh, wonderful institutions. Uh, but I think we have to spend a little bit more time focusing on our national unity on issues that bring us together. I respectfully disagree with Prime Minister Trudeau, who I feel is using diversity politics as he's using our foreign policy in order for political expediency in this country. I hate to break it to him. Uh, communities are waking up to that reality. Uh, and I think we have to be vigilant as we go forward because the unity of this country is very fragile. And you talked about that. You alluded to that earlier. We live in a very competitive world. Canada, like I said, is a trading nation. We depend on various markets and access to markets around the world. And we're living right now in an era of uh, populism, growing populism, an era of social disruption, an era where globally people are starting to lose faith in their institutions and in free enterprise and democracy and freedom in the rule of law. And of course, we're walking on a very dangerous tightrope. And Canada, I think, can provide global leadership, number one, in having uh, some principles that are going to be espised and are not flexible and not negotiable. And we will not sell them for a few hundred million dollars uh, because right now we're seeing a lot of foreign policy and, and players on the global scene that are willing to sell their principles for real politic and few economic exchanges, you know, widget for a few dollars. It's it's dangerous and it's dangerous to who we are. It's as so short sighted, right? It's so short sighted. It is. And and internally, of course, if we don't have the discussion of what binds us and unites us like a binder, the various components in this country, uh, the country's at risk. I believe despite the the waning uh, movement of separatism in Quebec, I think this the question of national unity is is ever more prevalent today than ever before. And not because Western Canadians uh, don't feel respected in Canada. I think as a country, we haven't focused on the things that unite us. And I think politicians in Ottawa aren't focusing on creating uh, wealth in this country and building our economy fairly, equitably, for all regions, of course, and that, again, is another show in itself. You had a very interesting podcast on the energy sector, and I, I have some views on that. But I think along with the fact of zero focus on building national unity, there's been zero focus on, a, on an energy strategy in this country, zero focus on an agricultural strategy in this country, zero focus on an industrial strategy in this country. What's the end result? We've had now successive years where our growth has been piddly. And again, why did we all come to Canada to work hard and to grow economically? So when that every year I look at our economic growth numbers in the country and every time I see 1%, 0.5%, quarters of a percent, I say to myself, we're going to have angry, dissatisfied Canadians. And there's no need for that. Oh, that is a great. Oh, go, go more on that. Go so more on I, that. I look at Mr. Trudeau who spends his life. Uh, he's a walking photo op. Uh, and and uh, a PR opportunity, 
Uh, he uses the ethnocultural communities as ornaments, but doesn't tangibly do something with it. And again, I discussed it uh, in, a, in a round table I had yesterday with a, a group of visible minorities. I, I said, Mr. Trudeau runs, and now I'm doing some criticism, but I'm going to back it up with facts. He, he'll run to be at the front of the line uh, at a Black Lives Matter protest and, and take a knee. But if we look at the senior civil service in Ottawa right now, there's no representation from visible minorities. If you look at the dozens of deputy ministers in Ottawa, uh, there's one deputy minister who qualifies as a visible minority. And guess who that is? Probably even at the ADM no. level. And, too. and guess who that deputy minister is? It's the deputy minister of indigenous affairs. How goddamn <laughs> insulting is that? Buddy, you're the Prime Minister of Canada. Walk the talk. In my own province of Quebec, it's shameful to say, uh, less than 1% of the Quebec civil service is representative of, of our of what is 20% of the Quebec population, which is ethnocultural Anglo minority groups. That's deplorable. That's unacceptable. Again, I'm not going to say it's systemic racism or what is the cause of it. I believe the cause of it is simply due to the fact that people are afraid of the unknown. They're unwilling to open and, 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 and open the doors in their horizons and say, hey, let me look at this as an opportunity rather than a situation of, oh boy, I don't want to be identified as someone being unaware, someone to pretend they're not there or it's not there. Uh, that's what I believe is the case. I don't believe there's any uh, malice, terrible malice. I think very often people... people it's fear. It's fear, fear right? People, that's exactly it's what fear. it is. So, and, and actually, I've been thinking about this a lot in one of the other podcasts that we did. We had this lady on who was talking about wellness, and it was a great conversation. And one of the things we concluded was the greatest battle in the human mind is between the belief about scarcity or abundance. Communism believes in scarcity. How are we going to allocate the, the scarce resources we have? Capitalism believes in abundance. Human innovation can create wealth from nothing. That is the fundamental difference. And what we're seeing is scarcity mindset is winning and fear is winning, right? When, when, we, when we get into what's happening with this COVID thing, it is ridiculous. It's not ridiculous. We, of course, we should protect our vulnerable citizens. Of course, we should be doing everything in our power to get everyone vaccinated as quickly as possible so that we can move on from this. But the level of fear that's being pushed up by politicians who see it as a method to maintain political power, BC, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, New Brunswick, some of these are conservative. They, everyone is using this as an opportunity to solidify political power. And I've, I've, I'll, I've said it before, I'll say it again, enough is enough. Like, rise up, people. Stop being afraid. They're you, know how, you know what the most easiest way to, be con to control someone is? Find out what they're afraid of. Look, political parties, and I've done politics, as you know, for, for a number of decades. Uh, I'm not that as young as, young as you guys, so uh, I have about 37 years of experience in politics, and there's two roads uh, political leaders can take, as you appropriately pointed out, fear, and you play upon the fears and insecurities of the population. Mr. Trudeau right now has pulled that textbook out, and they're playing it to a T. Uh, they're, they're playing on the fear of their people's health right now due to COVID, and of course, they're, they're borrowing at a, at a pace where, of course, they're bankrupting future generation of Canadians uh, in order to convince today's Canadians that they will alleviate their fears, they will take care of them, there's a magic wand, and if you follow Moses into the desert, you'll be saved. Of course, you'll get manna from heaven. You'll get manna from heaven. Unfortunately, we all know Justin Trudeau is no Moses, as much as he pretends to be. <laughs> True. So the other, the other avenue political leaders can take is hope and confidence in the in human spirit and human nature. And that's the that's the choice I make. Uh, like I tell people, my parents immigrated here in 1959. They left a war-torn country, civil war, world war, uh, economic devastation behind. They know, my parents know what, what, what war means. They lived it. They know what poverty means. They went through it. Uh, they came here with a nickel in their pocket. And like my dad likes to say, he still has that suitcase when he arrived at Pier 21 in Halifax. And it's in great shape because even when he came here, he never had anything in that suitcase. He says, literally, I had nothing to bring, but I brought a suitcase so I looked like a traveler. So uh, wow. at the end of the day, he put his head down. He worked hard. 
Uh, for me, he's the epitome of what makes Canada great. He's 86 years old. He spent 30 years in this country doing work and labor that nobody else wanted to do. My mother worked in, in the smata industry, as we like to say here in, in Yiddish in Montreal, uh, working in the garment industry, uh, making dresses and clothes for 30 years of her life. And you know what? They're in financially great shape. They took an early retirement in their late 50s. They've been retired now for 30 years. Uh, and they are, as we say in French, reconnaissant au Canada. They're grateful to Canada for the opportunity. And these are proud Greeks, spent their first 20, 25 years, which any young person will be proud of their heritage and where they come from. But 60 years later, you ask my parents what they are, and there's no hesitation. We're Canadians. We're Québécois. We're proud Greeks. They're proud of their culture, vociferously proud. But by the same token, they will tell you this land, this country, these institutions, this system gave them opportunity to build the life. And there was no greater moment for my parents to be in the Senate of Canada in 2015 when I was appointed speaker to the Senate. And David, I'm, I'm going to toot my own horn a little bit, but really more, more uh, so it. Prime Minister Harper. We, we, we uplift Canadians on this podcast. We're all about pumping people up. I'll tell up. you this. I was <laughs> the first speaker in 153 years of history in this country, who uh, was appointed speaker who was not of Irish, Scottish, English, or French descent. Uh, quote, unquote, I, 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 I was the first to fall in that hyphenated Canadian category of an ethnic. And it's funny, years later in my dis uh, discussion, I brought that up to Prime Minister Harper, and he looked at me and said, is that so? Uh, <laughs> he didn't even think about he it. didn't think about it. It never <laughs> crossed his mind. And as I like to say to people, do not think for a moment that when it comes to diversity and respect of uh, the multicultural reality of Canada, it's a, it's a monopoly that the Liberals hold. I said, we have a better story to tell in the Conservative Party, and our story as a Conservative I'm proud of. First woman appointed to Cabinet was not a Liberal, was a Conservative. First black man appointed to Cabinet was not a Liberal, was a Conservative. Uh, the first... A Hindu woman appointed to the Senate of Canada was appointed by Prime Minister Harper. The first Muslim woman of Pakistani descent appointed to the Senate of Canada was appointed by Prime Minister Harper. Uh, and we can go on and on this garbage of how somehow the liberals are the ones that have a monopoly on diversity and, and respect for the cultural communities is utter nonsense. The difference is when we conservatives make these appointments, it never crosses our mind that these people come from an ethnic background. We consider them capable, competent Canadians. And, the, yeah, and that's what I deduced. We don't that's the, what I deduced from Mr. Harper. When I told him that, Mr. Harper said, listen, buddy, I appointed you there because I thought you can do the job and you happen to be a Canadian. <laughs> and we needed a Canadian to do that's it. Right. <laughs> and and unfortunately or fortunately, that's the catch-22. It's a very noble perspective we, we, we have, but we have to toot our horns a little bit and get the message out there that no, the liberals painting us as a bunch of Neanderthals, nuggle-dragging racist is completely false, untrue. Oh yeah, it's a complete lie and, and it's propaganda. One of, the, uh, one of the people I study most intensely in life is uh, Napoleon Bonaparte. Uh, I find his rise to power to be one of the most fascinating historic, and we have so much information on it because it was all written down with his missives and the military, and he has so many journals. So it's kind of like Julius Caesar, right? He wrote a lot down, so we actually we we know about him. So it's, there are other great men in history, but Napoleon, at least we could study him a lot, right? So I study him quite a lot, and one of the things that Napoleon was really good at was propaganda, like really good. Like people think he was a great general, no. His army, he was a great general, but that wasn't what made him great. What made him great was convincing people of things. He had a printing press in his military camps that traveled everywhere with them, and they would print a paper for the army about what, about what that specific army was doing every day. And what I say to people is I'm like, you don't realize what you're, what's happening. You're just believing propaganda, and it's making you angry. I, I always talk, I always refer to Ezra Levant as a merchant of rage because all he cares about is getting people upset so they'll give him their money. He doesn't actually care about Canada. He would rip Canada to shreds for a few dollars. And the thing is, I think Trudeau is ripping Canada to shreds 
for a few dollars. I think all of this is a gigantic play by the liberals to make a ton of money. They've already made it off weed. They were going to make it off China before COVID. And that's all liberals care about. I read once that politics in the West is protest. Politics in Quebec is religion. Politics in the East is nuisance. And politics in Ontario is business. And Ontario has, has run this country as a business to profit the Laurentian elites for a very long time. And I say Canadians need to get fed up with this and they need to say, no, we don't need to profit this group of, you know, whitewashed elites who are convincing us that we're racists. We're not racists. We love Canadians. I love every, Salam Habibi, right? I love every Canadian, whether they're First Nation, Arab, I love them all. And, and the fact that we are being divided by these, it just, it gets me very angry. I know I'm not supposed to be critical on the podcast, but like that single thing makes me so mad. Look, uh, for good reason, Mr. Trudeau has been the master of manipulating fear and anger, even though he, he that their headlines and their slogans are, we're progressive, uh, we're, we're here to be positive. The truth of the matter is we've seen how uh, Mr. Trump in the United States has effectively used the politics of fear uh, and anger. Trudeau does the same thing. He just comes from it from the left side. He, I've always said that Trudeau is our 100%, Trump. 100%. He is. He's a populist. 100%. He's 100% a populist. Uh, but Trudeau's a fake populist. He, 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 well, he's a fake. I mean, he doesn't care about the people, but he can use, he can, he can harness their fear to, to, to create power. For David, I'm, like, I'm, like I is, said, I'm a son of hardworking mid, middle, lower class Canadian immigrants who came to this country. And I know what it means to start from the bottom up and through hard work and perseverance uh, rise to the top. And that's the only way I was taught to be and how to live my life. And I find it peculiar in this era of politics that a multi-billionaire in the United States convinced our friends to the South that he's the man who's going to fight <laughs> for the middle class. And we have Justin Trudeau born and raised in 24 Sussex. Silver spoon in his mouth his Absolutely. whole life. And then left that, that set of cutlery at 24 Sussex to go into Westmount, the most privileged place maybe in the universe, and I know as a Montrealer. And he now is the guy who's fighting for the underprivileged. The guy who blackfaced is the guy who's going to solve the racism problem in this country. The level of hypocrisy in this discourse is just stunning to me. And you, and you know what the funniest and the saddest thing, to be honest, is that the Conservative Party has been led by timid men like Andrew Scheer. I know you don't have to say that. I know. Uh, but but you know that myself and someone that you know quite well started Scheer Must Go. And we are we have this completely ridiculous leader of the Liberal Party that we should be able to beat. Like, I'm sorry, but Peter McKay was right. Andrew Scheer missed a shot on an open net. And that's sad. Well, <laughs> look, I'm uh, uh, Andrew Scheer is a colleague of mine, a good friend of mine, a good conservative. Aaron O'Toole is a good friend, a good conservative. I believe in order to overcome the challenges that we face, we got to be united. We got to be focused. Well, see, I was going to speak to that. I was going to speak to that. We conservatives fight each other more fiercely. 100%. We're, we're always beating the crap out of one another. And that's the only reason the liberals win. If we could get our crap together, we'd be unstoppable. But because we're so, I don't know, what do you think it is? Why do we fight each other like this? Uh, again, I think because we're not focusing on the challenges before us, which is expanding uh, our, our base to French Canadians. Why? Because I think our party uh, has a fear a little bit of the unknown. We're, we've been a Western-based Anglo party, which is, that's there's no shame in that. That's what we are. But I think we're a principled party. We're not a consensus party. We're a conviction party. I know my fellow Quebecois and Quebecois are people of, of heart and conviction. Uh, if, if you can convince them, I think we have to take it upon ourselves to do a better job convincing them. This country has demographically changed and it's changing every year. We're bringing in 250,000 new Canadians a year. Within a couple of years, they become voters. So just in the last decade, there's, there's a couple of million voters who 
fall nowhere on the political spectrum. They're new arrivals. We got to do a better job at talking to them as well. So some of the issues we've touched upon on today, very casually, I think the Andrew Shears and the Aaron O'Toole's of our party and the Stephen Harper's of our party are, are afraid to go after them. Don't forget, I, I come from that community, right? I was born and raised in Quebec. I've been born and raised in the ethnocultural communities. So last night when I engaged in a discussion about multiculturalism, I know my, my colleagues who are of uh, Anglo, old stock Canadian existence here, they're terrified to engage these issues with, our, with their fellow Canadians because of the fear of being called out and being racist. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to live my life as an example of how we don't need to be afraid. So one of the things that I'm doing is uh, buying my grandpa's old farm right. back, and kudos uh, to which you. I've announced quite publicly. Thank you. Uh, but what I'm going to do on it is I'm going to raise, go raise goats, but they're going to be halal meat. Uh, and so, so it's like I'm an evangelical, but I'm raising halal meat for my Muslim brothers and sisters. And I'm also going to be building my grandpa's old barn again. It blew down in a tornado. When was that, Zach, that it blew down? Um, in the 1990s. Yeah. And, I'm, and in that barn, I'm going to have totem poles as the pillars for the barn. Why? Not because it's, I think that the land isn't mine anymore, but out of respect for the people who came before. Right? That's how we need. To, and it needs to be real respect. I hate when people just mouth these talking points about respecting someone and then respect isn't a thing you say it is a thing you do a hundred percent and that's uh, why i go back to saying earlier we have a prime minister who blackfaced we have a prime minister who groped uh, a journalist and always comes back with some discombobulated justification for his poor comportement uh, his comportment and, and you say to yourself that's not becoming of a leader uh, and but it goes back to again the theme of what we were discussing earlier in this country that we've gotten we've gotten into clans we've gotten into teams the red shirt the blue shirt the orange shirt and we're willing to say anything and accept anything and do anything to justify the unjustifiable and well and here and yeah. because of this growth here's, in here's populism a good example and and extremism. We're falling into these traps. So that's why I enjoy having a candid discussion on all these topics with you, uh, because I know we're, we're coming from a good place and we really want to find legitimate solutions to some of these issues. Yeah. And, and one of the things that, that I've noticed is when you have these discussions with people, they open up, they get excited because because if you ask people what is Canada, they're not going to be able to answer. But if you ask them what they love about it, they all have an answer. Indeed. And, and everybody's answer is a little bit different. But again, through this discourse and dialogue and, and disagreement, we'll come to some kind of a consensus. But right now in our politics, we have a prime minister that is uh, making his, his, his calling card is division, honestly. Uh, and you see it, for example, we're facing a serious economic crisis in Alberta. I'm a, I'm a Quebecer, Montrealer. I'm so concerned about my energy sector in this country. And he, he deals with it in such a political way where you can tell he gets a question asked regarding XL Keystone being cancelled. And he goes into a, an answer about what a great job they did defending steel and aluminum against the United States. And, and, and now I, as a Quebecer, found that insulting. And I'm saying, how infuriating would that be for my, my brethren out in Alberta, listening to their prime minister talking about how they were aggressive in dealing with an economic issue that touched uh, Eastern Canada and just basically skated by the whole issue of Keystone. Buddy, people are hurting. Well, they don't care about Alberta at all, right? Because all they think about is politics and power. And at the end of the day, Alberta can't do anything for their politics and power. I'm going to be even because kinder they, than no that. There's no seats for I, the Liberals I don't want to believe for a minute they don't care about Alberta. What I feel is the case is they care about their re-election more. And they know this ah, is a tough issue. That's a really good way of putting and it. And my that's problem really with Mr. Trudeau is he's so electorally driven that he talks about the things that he thinks resonate with his voters. And he categorizes his voters, Muslims, Christians. Jews, 
everything is breaking things down at the demographic blocks that he needs to win in order to get the number. Hundred percent. I think his decisions on weighing in on a domestic issue in India, where a Canadian prime minister has no business weighing into, he does that not that because he cares about what's going on in India. That's Prime Minister Modi's problem. But he knows. Oh, you know what? I have the Sikh community in Canada. I'm going to rile them up against the Hindu community in Canada. Oh, we have the Turks right now who are backing up Azerbaijan, invading Artsakh, killing Christian Armenians. And it's a terrible thing. And that's an issue we can discuss on another podcast. I'm going to stay quiet like crickets, unlike France, unlike the U.S., because I don't want to offend my Muslim base, which I've convinced the Muslim community that the uh, conservative party are anti-Muslim, which is a crock of shit. But excuse my language. But of course, that's their narrative. So right now they look at Alberta. Oh, the conservatives have won 34 seats there and they win them by a margin of 70 to 80 percent. So I don't give a shit. I have no hope of doing anything between now and October to be competitive in those seats. So our oil industry is dying. I'm going to talk about steel and aluminum uh, and so on and so forth. <laughs> so this is the kind this I, is you, why you, I dis- your mind is this is why I despise the prime minister. And like I said, he uses diversity, our regional economic differences to divide the country further and further. It's abominable, uh, unacceptable. And we have to keep speaking out. And I and I know it's incumbent upon us from Eastern Canada to call him out. And I keep saying that we in Quebec and Ontario, uh, we have work to do. But we in the Conservative Party have to start pointing to these things, not to be afraid to point to them and say, this is what Mr. Trudeau is all about. And define a more clear, concise and transparent picture of what an Aaron O'Toole government will look like. And I think if Mr. O'Toole can do that between now and the next election, uh, I'm very hopeful he'll be the next prime minister. Well, I, th- I think if he can if he can show Canadians that, that Trudeau is trying to divide us and he wants to unite us, that singular message, if we, it's not hard. We can point to all the times that the, the prime minister is trying to divide us. There's like, You and I just did it off the cuff. We, we, we're not scripted, guys. That's just in our heads, examples of how Justin... So my... You know what? I loved what you said, and I apologize myself for saying that he doesn't care about Alberta, because you're right. He just cares more about winning an election than he cares about Alberta. Narcissists, and narciss- I, and I narcissists add- care about themselves more than they have anything to... They're not very concerned with others. That's why they're narcissists. Man... That's beautiful. I really, we got to, we got to end because we got another podcast coming up here, but thank you so much for coming on the show. And thank you for uh, mentoring someone who's becoming one of my closest friends. He's uh, he, he is a really special guy and I'm, I'm glad that uh, he has a mentor well, like I'm you. I'm glad. Look, at the end of the day, I believe in the, 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 the future of this country and young people. And, and I always look back when I was a young Tory, how people like Peter White and Senator Jean Bazin and others at that time, uh, Senator Norm Atkins, God rest his uh, his soul, uh, took the time to talk to a young person and give some advice, and uh, and I feel an obligation to do the same. So uh, uh, for sure, we'll continue to do that because you're the future of the country. And David, thank you for having me on. Your show is great. It's a great initiative. I wish you continued success. Thank you, sir. Thank you for listening to the Canadian Story. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at the Cad Story. That's the CAD story. If you enjoy this podcast, please share it with your friends and family. Let's work together to remind Canadians how great their country is.